The Word of God was written in a very Eastern context. And when, by and large, when we see the word honor in the Scriptures, the first thing that should come to our minds from an Eastern culture is honoring the family name. Honoring the family. I know that uh, Tom Bennett spent uh, a year or two in Japan, right, Tom? Tom, is honor in a Japanese family of utmost importance? Absolutely. Absolutely. You go to any Eastern context, honoring the family name, which is the title of my sermon today, honor the family name, is of utmost importance. It's an honor-shame culture. And you are to do all you can to bring honor to your family name. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture in 1 Peter, in which Peter is making the argument that we need to honor our family name. We are a part of the family of God. You and I who believe in Jesus Christ are a part of the family of God. And Peter is going to be reminding us this morning, honor the family name. Open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 17 and read to verse 21. Peter has just finished a little bit of a dialogue on being holy, showing God that, that we intend to live holy lives for Him. And this is what he continues with in verse 17 of 1 Peter. Take a look. It says this, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through Him, believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, we thank You even now that Your Spirit is working upon our hearts and giving light to our eyes that we might, as a people, as a family of God, recognize Your Word as truth, that we might learn from it, that we might grow from it. I pray a special blessing, Father, upon this time together, this message, that we might learn what it means to honor the family name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to take this passage verse by verse. Take a look again at verse 17. Peter says this. He says, And if you call... On the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the, stay, the, the time of your stay here in fear. Now, there's a couple things that we want to note about this passage. Uh, Peter uses the words, and if, in yellow, uh, behind me. Those words there can be a little bit deceiving because it might mean that, you know, if by chance you do this. In fact, Peter means to say the word since there. The construction in the original language means since you do this. Since this is the God you call on. So Peter's continuing 
what he's been saying. He says, be holy. Be, uh, have your conduct in holiness, verses 15 and 16. And in verse 17, he says, and since this is the God you call upon, and then he's going to say what we should do about it. So keep in mind the word since there in, uh, at the very onset of this verse. Secondly, the word call there in green, I hope you can see it a little bit, is a word that simply means to name the name of in this, in this context. If you're going to name the name of God as your Father, since you identify with God as your Father, since you do this, I'm going to tell you what to do, Peter says. Since you do this, this is what you are to do. Let's continue. He's first going to describe who this Father is that we worship. Who is this God that we worship? And notice what he says. He says, who without partiality, without partiality, judges according to each one's work. You know, for those of us who have been here for the last number of Sundays, we've learned what Peter means when he talks about God judging us. He's not speaking about justification here. Peter is not speaking of the judgment of God in terms of who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. That's not what he's concerned with here. God will certainly judge unbelievers and will certainly judge believers. But in this particular context, Peter is highlighting the judgment of God upon Christians. Upon Christians. In particular... Peter is concerned with how God will judge who is given special honor and glory in the kingdom. And this is what he says about God, the judge of all believers. He says he's an impartial judge. Impartial. He is not persuaded by earthly position or stature. He is not convinced of a believer's worth based on their human fame or fortune. Instead, our God judges according to each one's work. That is to say, He judges based on our earthly conduct. And so what we are seeing here is that Peter is describing how God judges without partiality and the basis of His judgment. That is to say, God judges believers based on their earthly lives. Based on each one's work. That is how you and I will be judged by Almighty God in the end. And again, this is not focused on the judgment of God of who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. Peter will actually allude to that later on in chapter 4. But in chapter 1, the judgment of God here is with respect to the believer. He will judge all of us and assign to some a great measure of glory in the kingdom and assign to others maybe a more meager measure because of their earthly conduct. This is the judgment that Peter speaks of in verse 17. And so in view of the fact that God's going to judge each one of our earthly lives, it is only natural, it's only natural for Peter to say what he says next. He says, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. In fear. Peter says that our life conduct, notice that word in yellow, it's to say our behavior, our lifestyle, both attitude and action, how we live our earthly lives must be governed by fear. Now this isn't a terrifying fear. This isn't a fear where we're biting our nails in front of Almighty God. Instead, this, this word really in, it means reverence. It means to revere God. To show Him the highest respect 
and the highest honor by our earthly lives. And Peter speaks about having this kind of high conduct many times in 1 Peter. In fact, he uses that term conduct six times. Six times in the book. He's concerned with us having good conduct because it is the basis. Our conduct is the basis upon which God will judge us worthy of kingdom glory. So Peter turns to the Christians of Asia Minor, his audience, the people whom he is writing to in this very letter that we read today, 2,000 years later. And he reminds them, let your conduct be faithful. You're going through persecutions right now. You're dealing with Rome. You're dealing with pagan Gentiles. You're dealing with idolatry. Sexual perversions are abounding in this culture. We read about that a little bit last week. The former lusts. You can read about it in chapter 4, verse 3. Just to get a glimpse of what this culture was like that Peter is writing to. But Peter says it's so important that your conduct, your lifestyle... Be honorable in the midst of this awful culture. And God will keep a record of your loyalty in the midst of trials and persecutions. He will not show partiality in judgment. There's a standard by which we are rewarded in the life to come. And so I ask you very simply, are you honoring the one to whom you call Father? That's what Peter's saying here. He's saying, since this is the God you call Father, conduct yourselves, conduct the rest of your stay here in fear, in reverence. If this is the God you call Father, the God who doesn't judge with partiality, the God who instead has a clear and definitive standard based on our earthly conduct, he says, since this is your God, are you honoring Him? Are you honoring the one you call Father? You're a part of God's family. Are you bringing honor or shame to the family name? Are you bringing honor or are you bringing shame to the one that you call your God? There's another reason why we are to we are called the holy conduct. As Peter mentions, uh, in, he mentions this holy conduct from verses 15 to 17, and now in verses 18 and following, he's going to give us further reason to conduct ourselves with holiness and reverence. So take a look at verse 18 as we learn even greater how to bring honor to the family name. It says this, verse 18, "...knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers..." Our conduct should be holy in view of our precious and holy redemption. That word redeemed there in yellow, it means to set free, literally to liberate. This was a term, as we've learned in, in, in past uh, messages, I mentioned that this was a, really a slave term. This term was used in Old Testament contexts to define setting free a slave, paying a redemption payment to set a slave free. And Peter says, you've not been redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct. How about that word aimless, that phrase aimless conduct? We see the word conduct again, notice. In other words, we've been purchased by God through Christ so that our lives would not reflect emptiness. 
We've been purchased by God through Christ so that our lives would not reflect vanity. We've been purchased by God through Christ so that our lives would not reflect sin and death. Aimless conduct. We've been purchased instead for a higher calling. You've been purchased for the very highest calling. The calling of Christ. That phrase, received by tradition from your fathers, in red. Uh, Oddly enough, that's how many words in English? Six, right? Six words in English? That's one word in Greek. Uh, It took six words in English to describe this one word in the original language. And it's a very unique word in Greek. It's, it's never found elsewhere in the Bible. It's the first, first and only instance of this word. In, in reality, at its basic core, it, it seems to mean received by your family heritage. So you see the irony here. Peter is saying, you've not been purchased with corruptible things from your family heritage that was of old. He's saying, no, 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 you've been purchased with a much more precious thing, which is for your family heritage in God. The old family heritage, that was aimless. It was irreverent. You have a new family heritage. You have a new family to be a part of. And to be purchased into this family, it's a great cost. It's not purchased by silver or gold. Such currency was readily used to redeem slaves. Silver or gold was readily used in the marketplace. But Peter says, no, no, this this purchase into a new family cost much, much more. Take a look at verse 19. Redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish, and without spot. We've been purchased with the payment of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He has liberated us from a life of emptiness, vanity, sin, and death by means of His blood. And that word precious, it means, it means valuable. In Hebrews 13.4, it's the same word to describe marriage. Marriage is honorable among all. That's that word precious. So it also has the idea of honor, worth, honor, precious. Honor the family name because you've been purchased with an honorable payment. Bring honor to the family name because the blood that was spilt for you was precious and honorable blood. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Peter here is alluding to the Old Testament system where they needed an unblemished lamb to bring about the remission of sin. To return to right relationship with God prior to Christ. And Peter here is drawing our attention to that and saying Jesus was the spotless lamb. The final unblemished sacrifice. Sinless and morally perfect. Peter says that Jesus' precious and honorable blood has bought us back from emptiness, vanity, sin, and death. And now he's going to go on in verse 20 to emphasize that Jesus' sacrifice has been on the mind of God since eternity past. Take a look at verse 20. 
It says this about Jesus. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. That is to say, prior to creation, God had in mind to give up His one and only Son to buy back sinful man. Now I want to pause for a moment. I want to pause and I want to um, switch gears completely. I want you, just for a moment, to imagine, with, if you will, that you can see the future. Alright? You can see the future. Let's say, for instance, that you uh, have ties with Dr. Emmett Brown and you put on his, uh, his hat, right? There he is up there. And you are able, remember that guy from Back to the Future? I'm not getting a reaction, alright? Work with me here. How many have seen Back to the Future? Alright, well, you should laugh when I say this. You have ties to Dr. Emmett Brown? Good. Much better. And you can see the future. Okay? Just imagine for a moment. You can look into the future. And say, for instance, as you look into the future, you have the capacity to see the outcome of your decisions. What transpires as a result of a decision you made. Let's say you're uh, investing. You want to buy something. Maybe a stock or a home or a car. And you put down the payment, but yet, because you can see the future, you see that that investment will turn to ruin. You see that that stock you're about to purchase five days later is going to plummet and you're going to lose all your money. Now let me ask you, if you could see that, would you buy the stock? Would anybody buy the stock? No. Okay, mothers, let's say uh, your, your son or your daughter are going to be playing in a soccer game next week. And you, having Dr. Emmett Brown's special future device on your head, can see that your son or daughter is going to get seriously injured in the soccer game. They're going to break their leg as a result of this Saturday's soccer game. Mom, would little Johnny or little Susie be playing in this Saturday's soccer game? No. Would, would you ever make that decision if you knew in advance what the result would be? Would you? No. Friends, recognize this. If we know in advance what the outcome of our decisions are, and if we know in advance that that outcome results in loss, injury, sacrifice, pain, we don't make those kinds of decisions, do we? We wouldn't continue on that course of action, would we? We would avoid it instead. Instead, we would avoid it completely. Avoid the pain. Avoid the loss. Avoid the injury. I ask you today, do you suppose that God did not know in advance what would transpire out of the perfect creation He had fashioned? Do you suppose that God did not know in advance what would occur if He were to fashion the world that He has made do you suppose he didn't know that? Of course not. Of course he knew it. He knew precisely what would occur. 
He knew that the very creatures that He would make would turn against Him. He knew that sin and death would abound. He knew that the only possible means of bringing about reconciliation and restoration to that creation would be to give up His perfect, precious, and honorable Son's life for the sake of the world. He knew that pain, loss, sacrifice, injury would inevitably transpire as a result of creating such a world. He knew that. And yet He still created a world He knew would turn against Him. He still created a world He knew would turn against Him and would cost the life of His Son. I can't understand that. I I gave petty examples about stocks that we know would go down in value, about our son or daughter breaking a leg at the soccer game. Rather petty in in the end. And yet we would not even consider, knowing in advance that that would transpire, we would not even consider permitting those decisions to go forward in our humanity. We wouldn't consider it. I don't pretend to know the mind of God. I don't pretend to understand why God would make such a decision. But one thing I do know, I know He did this for me. There's no other explanation. I know He did this for you and me. Because no one else would make that decision. Peter says, He, Jesus Christ, was foreordained before the foundation of the world. God knew in advance the life and mission that His Son would have to take. Friends, you are the benefactors. You are the recipients of this truth. You are the recipients of this amazing gift of God, the precious redeeming blood of Jesus Christ. Peter is reminding us that just as the prophets of old that he spoke of in verses 10 to 12, just as they worked and labored on our behalf in the future, knowing that they wouldn't see in, in its fullness who the Messiah would be and what He would accomplish. They worked for our benefit in the future. So also Peter is reminding us here that the Father in Heaven saw in advance His Son would have to die if He created this world and He still created it. He stayed on the course of action. And we have the distinct honor and privilege, this side of the cross of Christ, to look back on this and to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for such an amazing gift. We cannot pretend to understand why you would do this for us. He was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, for your benefit. Verse 21, to describe us, he says, we who through Him, through Jesus, believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. The word believe there is is the adjective uh, uh, for believe or to to have faith in. It really indicates that Peter, Peter is suggesting here that this is why you trust this God. 
This is why you trust your God and Father. Because it doesn't make sense for him to continue on in this path. To make a world he knew would turn against him and to know in advance he would have to send his son and experience the pain and the grief and the sacrifice for a sinful creation. To know in advance that our God would do this, Peter says, that gives us good reason to trust him. We who through Jesus, because we've seen what God has done through Christ, we believe in God. We trust Him. We recognize He is faithful. We've come to know that He is the God of second chances. And through Jesus, we say, I trust you. God raised Jesus from the dead and gave Him glory. Jesus was the recipient of glory in virtue of His faithfulness to the Father, willingness to endure suffering and persecutions. This was accomplished, Peter says, so that your faith and your hope are in God. The glory that Jesus received from the Father as a result of His perfect life, conduct, and sacrifice gives us confidence, confidence, hope, that God will also be true to His promise to us. In particular, true to the promise Peter's been espousing this whole book, that He will still yet honor us amazingly, give us honor undeservingly, if we would but be faithful to Him. Jesus has come that our confidence might be in God, that we might remain confident in Him as the fulfiller of promises. You know, I want to leave us with a, a final thought today. I, application in one, two, three points today didn't seem apropos. I wanted to instead read something that I, I put together, just, just two, two sentences that, uh, that for me was my response just to today's uh, message. It says this, final thought. Our Heavenly Father knew in advance that His creation would turn from Him, yet still He foreordained His only Son to shed His precious and honorable blood to redeem us to buy us back from a life of emptiness, vanity, sin, and death. And as if this truth is not already unthinkable, as if that is not already unfathomable, our Father will one day judge we who are His children not to condemn us, but to determine our assignment of honor and glory in the kingdom. Friends, these truths, they should not be. They should not be. These truths are beyond comprehension. We would not make these same decisions. And yet this demonstrates the mercy and the grace that is in our God. This is the God we call Father. Live in such a way that you will bring honor to His name. Honor the family name. Let's pray. Father, we, we name You as the God we worship and serve. We call out to You and identify You as our Lord, our Father. We look at what You've done for us in Christ, knowing in advance what You would have to give up. And we cannot imagine why You would make such a decision for us. It is beyond our comprehension. Father, we... We trust You because of that. It inspires us to be faithful to You because of knowing this.
And Father, I pray that we would bring honor to your name. That our conduct would be becoming of what you've given to us. We would live in reverential fear of you. Show you the honor and the respect that you deserve. And amazingly, Lord, in some some way, you still desire to honor us and give us glory if we would remain faithful. Father, these truths are too much for us to grasp. We are grateful for them. We thank you, Lord, for the precious and honorable blood of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.
to partake of the Lord's Supper that Heather and Jeff have just told us about through that song. This is a ordinance that the Lord has given to us that we might remember Jesus Christ by. And this is this is a opportunity for those of us who are believers to remember that great and glorious sacrifice. So, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I want to speak to you just briefly. If you've never come to a saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, this there's no better time. There's truly no better time. What does the Scripture say about salvation? John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever would believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's it. Believe in Jesus for life and you will have it. And I encourage you today, I'm not, we don't have people walk down the aisle as a profession of faith traditionally. We don't have people raise their hands All I'm saying to you today is believe this. This is true. This is the truth. Believe on Jesus for life and you, as you do, will become a child of God. If you have believed that today for the first time, I want you to seek me out after the service because I want to talk to you about that because you've just made an unbelievable, unbelievable decision. You've just come to an unbelievable awareness. And you are now a child of God. So please speak with me afterwards. Those of you who are believers today, this is for you to pay reverence and honor to Jesus Christ. So as we partake of the bread which symbolizes his body and the cup which symbolizes his blood, I simply ask you to worship and adore him. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your son. Father, may we at this time spend moments honoring and worshiping you through this Lord's Supper. In Christ's name, amen.
take and eat of the bread which symbolizes the body of our Lord and Savior. Take of the cup, which symbolizes Jesus Christ's blood. Amen. gold and not with silver, but we've been redeemed by the precious and honorable blood of Jesus Christ. Let's drink it together. Our gracious God and Father, Lord, words cannot express 
how great and mighty of a sacrifice it was for you to give up your one and only son to die on our behalf. Father, this has come at an unbelievable price. You knew in advance that it would occur. And yet out of your love and grace and mercy toward us, you still saw fit to reach down and to buy us back. Father, we are eternally indebted to you. We thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ, which brings about our redemption. May our lives, Father, may our lives be lived in honor and reverence of that very truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.